Chapter 26 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron White. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter 26. The next morning, about ten o'clock, as he was getting ready to go to the city, Headley Siemens was somewhat surprised by a message which Saunders brought him to the effect that a lady had called and wished to see him particularly. "'What sort of lady, Saunders?' he asked rather irritably, for the strange events of the previous night had shaken his nerves up very considerably, and he was not by any means himself. "'Didn't she send a card or give her name? What sort of lady is she?' The astute Saunders instantly noted the emphasis on the lady and replied with a demure smile. "'Oh, she's a lady right enough, sir. No doubt about that. A regular top-heeler, too. And, if I might say so, pretty as a picture and dressed like a duchess.' "'Very well, Saunders,' said his master with a dry smile. "'I'll accept your recommendation. You may show her in.' "'Yes, sir.' replied Saunders, and disappeared, closing the door gently behind him. "'Now who the deuce can that be?' said the Gold King half aloud, as he turned towards one of the windows overlooking the park. "'Pretty as a picture and dressed like a duchess. Saunders certainly has a turn for crisp description, and as there are only two women—oh, yes, of course, it must be the princess. Now what the devil does she want? I wish I had never heard of that confounded institute in Halkind's infernal machine.' It strikes me the situation is getting rather too complicated to be pleasant. Here I am hopelessly in love with another man's wife, who looks at me as if I were a shop-walker, and on the other hand one of the most brilliant and beautiful women in Europe has fallen in love with me, not only with my millions either. Halkind's infernal machine told me that much. Yes, come in. Lady to see you, sir, murmured Mr. Saunders behind the opening door. He heard a swish of skirts and a rustle of hidden silk, and there stood Kara Natif, hatted and gowned to absolute perfection, with a lurking gleam of mischief in her eyes and a faint pink flush tinging the exquisite purity of her cheeks. "'Good morning, Your Highness. This is indeed an unexpected honor. There was just the slightest perceptible pause between the last two words, which deepened the flush on the princess's cheeks. "'Of course you would think that,' she replied, looking straight at him with a challenge in her eyes. "'But I hardly thought you would say it. It was rather commonplace for you and doesn't fit the situation. Of course this is a shockingly unconventional visit. To be quite candid, that is why I did not give my card to the porter. But at the same time the situation itself is unconventional. Almost painfully so, I am afraid. But then that is just why I have taken the liberty and the risk.' "'My dear princess,' he replied, moving a luxurious armchair, so that if she sat in it, the light from one of the long windows would fall on her face. "'My dear princess, I am afraid you must pardon me if I say that the one suggestion is as unthinkable as the other. Pray sit down and let us talk. And to begin with, how can I best serve you?' "'By listening to me, and telling me what you think of what I am going to say.' she replied, sinking slowly down into the depths of the big chair. Of course, I needn't go into particulars as to certain details, 
but considering the nature of those details i felt it was both my duty and my inclination to come at the earliest possible moment and warn you that you are in very considerable danger my dear princess he interrupted it is very kind of you very kind indeed but perhaps i may save you the trouble by telling you that i am already aware of the fact and that i am taking every possible means for my own protection last night i made alike a powerful ally and a very detestable enemy that sounds paradoxical but at the same time it is true in other words i carried out the experiment at the institute ah and may i ask with whom said the princess sitting up and looking keenly at him the director i presume i am afraid i am not at liberty to answer that question even to you he replied with a suspicion of stiffness it is i believe one of the secrets of that temple of mysteries i may however tell you that the other party to the experiment was not our good friend isa ramal i am afraid we are wandering a little from the subject may i recall it by thanking you for coming to me on such a charitable purpose you are alluding i presume to some especial danger that is threatening and you know of course that that sort of thing is one of the inevitable penalties of such success as i have been able to win yes you must forgive me it was quite my fault she replied as though she had not noticed the refusal to answer her question i came to tell you that harold enstone has somehow got it into his head that you are someone else and that he has cabled to a place called pine bluff city asking the mayor whether there is anyone there who knew a man named collier banfield a rather too well-known character in arizona about fifteen years ago and who could identify him now if so these people are to be forwarded to london as speedily as possible without any regard to expense of course i hardly need remind you of the consequences of such an identification and now may i ask your highness a question said headley seamans with wonderful self-control yet feeling that he had turned half a shade paler how has it been possible for you to discover that and why should you find any reason for thinking i am the person whom enstone wishes to identify as somebody else fortunately i am able to answer your question more frankly than you are able to answer mine she replied very sweetly and yet with a smile which he did not altogether appreciate it was all perfectly simple i met grace enstone last night at lady bermondsey's and got her talking as a woman generally does with another woman whom she dislikes your name came up and she not knowing that i was at all interested in the matter told me that after seeing you riding in the park yesterday morning her husband got an idea that he had met you before in america but that you had said afterwards at mrs grover's garden party that you had never been anywhere in the states except in the cities when i got home i found a copy of a cable which harold enstone sent yesterday afternoon to pine bluff city and an answer from the mayor saying that he had found five citizens who could swear to collier banfield if they saw him and that he was sending them to england by the next mail but how in thunder i beg your pardon a thousand times but how on earth could you even with your influence get copies of private cables like those That i am afraid i must answer as you answered my question about the experiment the secret is not mine i could only remind you that even telegraphic clerks are not all incorruptible and that a sort of telegraphic press cutting agency isn't altogether impossible 
Of course, it is expensive, but fortunately I can afford to indulge the hobby, and I assure you we find it a great deal more useful than most are. Well, he repeated with a sudden lift of his eyelids, ah, yes, I think I understand. I have heard of these little arrangements before, and I suppose it quite easy for the personal matter to get conveniently mixed up with the official. Exactly she said, with a nod and a little laugh. There is not the slightest reason why, since it is so difficult for you and I to have any secrets from each other, you should not understand the circumstances. But now the point is, what ought you do under them? In other words, he said, what use ought I to make of the very valuable information which you have so kindly brought me? He paused for a moment and looked steadfastly at her. If she did not know the truth already, was not this precisely the moment to put her love to the test of knowledge? If it could survive that revelation, surely there could be hardly any extreme to which it would not lead Kara Natif. Kara, he said, speaking more tenderly than she had ever heard him speak before, so tenderly indeed that her cheeks flushed and her eyes brightened. As you have just said, it is difficult for us to have any secrets from each other. So now tell me quite plainly how you would regard me if you knew that Harold Enstone's suspicion was correct, and that the arrival of these people from America will prove it. I knew it before I came here, she said quietly, and therefore I suppose the fact that I have come is a sufficient answer. More than sufficient, he replied slowly, and you— you, with your beauty, your wealth, your brilliant position in the world, would still be willing to join your lot with a man who was once Collier Banfield? The man with whom I would join hands, she said, with just the faintest quiver of emotion in her voice, is Headley Siemens. If he was anybody else in the past, that has nothing to do with me. I love in the present, and not in the past, and I look only at the future." But I am afraid there is yet another offence that you will have to forgive, Kara, before you and I can join hands with perfect understanding and confidence. I know what you are going to say, she said, with a smile that had very little sweetness in it. You are going to ask me to forgive you for loving another woman. Well, that is the greatest of all offences that a woman can forgive in the man she loves. But perhaps I am not altogether like other women. I may be better than some— and so far as my potentialities go, I might very possibly be worse than a great many. You love Grace Enstone with what I may perhaps call the sentimental side of your nature, and possibly your tender feelings are made tenderer by the knowledge that she is unattainable, at least at present. At present? he exclaimed, rising from his chair and going towards her. There need be no more secrets between us now, I think. What do you mean— what are you thinking about? Yes, it is true that I love Grace Enstone just in the way that you have said. If I thought I had a soul in the vulgar sense of the word, I would sell it to get her. As wife, or what? Wife? No, at least not for preference, replied Headley Siemens, with a brutal frankness, with a brutal frankness which delighted Caranatif in a fashion which he could hardly have comprehended. There is only one wife, one real helpmeet in the world for me now, Kara, he went on, catching her by the wrists. 
and there is no need for me to tell you who it is. No other woman, I believe, could have done what you have done this morning, and no other woman shall ever sit beside me on this golden Midas throne that I have raised and from which I can rule men like slaves and shake kingdoms. Will you come? Yes, she whispered, as he drew her towards him. In the next moment she was in his arms, his lips were upon hers, thrilling with the passion with which she had so subtly inspired him. When he had at length released her, she walked away to the window, and after looking out over the park a few moments, she turned and faced him, with her body inclined backwards a little, her draperies falling in perfect lines, her exquisite shape framed by the softly tinted hangings of the window, her lips slightly parted in a half-smile, her cheeks slightly flushed, and her eyes aflame, a perfect vision of that loveliness which was created to save or damn the souls of men, and sometimes of women also. And now, she said in a soft, she said in a low, soft voice, which sounded very like strange music in his ears, Shall I tell you why I was able to forgive you that offence which is the most grievous in the eyes of a woman who loves the man that has committed it? For the moment he was utterly intoxicated by her beauty and the sensuous delight of that long embrace. She had come to conquer, and she had conquered. She had made him love her as she wished him to do in spite of his love for grace. She had won, and she was magnificent, all-conquering in her triumph. For the first time in his life Headley Siemens found himself mastered instead of mastering. He said, with an effort to keep his voice steady, "'Yes, Kara, do.' "'Very well,' she replied, with another dazzling glance. "'I will, and the explanation is very simple. You love Grace Enstone after the sentimental fashion. I love you, and therefore I hate her.' and when a woman hates another, she gets back to the instincts of the primal savage. She wants revenge, the bitterest, deadliest, most utterly destroying revenge that she can get, and that is the revenge I mean to have on Grace Enstone. But how? he asked rather weakly. How can that be possible? Most things are possible to those whose love and hate are strong enough, she replied. Listen, and I will tell you. In the first place, Harold Enstone's abolition is now as vitally necessary to me as it is to you, and that ought to take place, if possible, before these people, whoever they are, arrive from America. At the same time, we must remember that it is not quite so easy an achievement here in this inconveniently free country as it would be elsewhere. Now there is a castle that I know of not very far from the border of Russian Poland, it is part of my ancestral heritage, and it is one of the most conveniently out-of-the-way places in Europe. It is about fifteen miles from the nearest post-town, surrounded on all sides by leagues of pine forest, and those forests are inhabited for miles round by the descendants of my grandfather's serfs, who are fortunately so stupidly and ignorantly loyal to the house of Natif that they are, to all intents and purposes, no more free men than their fathers were. It is not exactly the sort of place that one would select for a honeymoon, but I think that matters might be arranged that we might spend a portion of ours there with Mr. and Mrs. Harold Enstone as our guests. And if that could once be done, of course all the rest, I mean as regards your particular enemy and mine, might be quite satisfactorily arranged. 
always supposing that we could not find a shorter and easier way here in London. I don't quite know about that, he replied, going to her and putting his arm round her shoulders. But now that you and I are just we, I think I might tell you that if the matter cannot be satisfactorily arranged in London, the scheme which you have outlined so admirably might at least be well begun here. Yes, she said, putting her arm up over his shoulder. I am so glad you continually agree with me as far as the main outlines of our little plot are concerned. And now, how do you propose to begin from this end, as I dare say you have heard them say in America? This way, dear, he replied, drawing her to him and putting his left hand so as to bring her head down to his shoulder. If you do not already know it, I think this is the right time to tell you that a once notorious relative of Grace Enstone's— You don't mean General Halkine? I do. Are you going to tell me that he is still alive? she whispered, drawing his head down towards her upturned face and bringing her tempting lips closer to his. Of course, I know all of the story that was made public, and perhaps a little more. Now if he were only alive, I think everything would be easy. We might begin our honeymoon in Paris, or Vienna among the Italian lakes, and finish in my castle in Poland with Mr. and Mrs. Enstone as our guests. He is alive, and he will help us, he replied. In fact, he must. Must? What do you mean? she asked. Why must? Have you the power to compel him to help us? I completed the experiment with him, which I began with you, he replied, and I saw more deeply into his soul than I did into yours. He killed Sir Godfrey Enstone, or rather made him kill himself after getting him to forge his own will. Harold Enstone prosecuted him and got him penal servitude for life. If Harold Enstone knew that he was alive and practically in command of the Institute, what do you suppose he would do? Send him back to prison at once, of course, she replied in a half-whisper. And if he knew that Harold Enstone suspects that he is alive, and where he is, I suppose he wouldn't have much more mercy on him than he had on poor Sir Godfrey. That, my princess, was an inspiration which shows how closely our thoughts follow each other. Yes, exactly. But there is something even more than that which the vision of the soul-searcher revealed to me. Before she married Harold Enstone, Grace was the absolute mental slave of her uncle, who I believe is either her father or her stepfather, although that I did not see quite distinctly. Since her marriage, something, perhaps the magic of matrimony, has enabled her to escape entirely from his control. He would give a good deal to get that control back. He cannot do that while Harold Enstone lives, and that is why I think we can count upon his helping in carrying out the first part of our plan. I see, I see, she whispered. We could be married by special license, as they call the dispensation here, since we are both patrons of the Institute and also disciples of our good friend Isa Ramal, it would not be difficult to hold our reception there. Of course, Mr. and Mrs. Enstone would be among our guests. It would be easy to arrange for an interview, a little private seance in the Sanctuary of the Secrets, and then, well, then, if things work out as I intend them to do, I, your wife in my old Polish stronghold, will make you a present 
of Grace Enstone as my ancestors sometimes did with their serfs. No woman could wish for a sweeter revenge than that, could she? No. I have found the perfect woman at last. You are as damnable in hate as you are divine in love, and no man can hope more from his ideal woman than that. Then his arms closed about her, he crushed her up close to him, and their lips sealed the unholy contract. End of chapter 26